Welcome to another edition of the Royal Alliance UK podcast, episode 103. Oh boy. My name's Matthew Turner alongside Ryan McCluskey, my co-host. How you doing, man? I'm good, yeah, thanks. Uh, season's winding down, so it, it kind of feels like everyone's kind of just preparing for next year already. It really does. Um, right, we will crack straight on with this. Uh, I've got my girlfriend's family downstairs are waiting for me to finish so they can start some more louder drinking and I, I definitely want to be a part of that. The England cricket is on, although that's probably not worth watching either, but you know, never mind. Um, don't forget our Discord channel, active even through uh, Christmas and Boxing Day, so you want to get in on that, hit us up on Twitter for a link to that. College Football Podcast, still going strong, I don't know if there's going to be an episode this Wednesday, but we are coming up very, very quickly to the Championship playoffs uh on new year's eve i think so i know that there's a potential covid scare ryan there actually but um you know they are in the next few days yeah george has already got a few players that have tested positive including jt daniels and i think george pickens so they've been in protocol for a few days it's just come out that they've cancelled the presser for fear of covid so i do not have a good feeling about these games i i think there's going to be some issues I've already seen at least four ball games cancelled in the last two days. They're not even finding new opponents. They're not even asking teams to travel up and step up. They're just cancelling them flat out. So I'm praying the playoffs aren't affected. But it's, it's not looking... Keep them in the bubble. I would literally keep them away from anyone whatsoever until the games. Don't take any risks. I mean, I've seen loads of Michigan fans on my Twitter having, you know, been a, a Lions fan. There's loads of them there saying... Oh, I don't mind if the games are COVID-affected and the games are called off as long as Michigan are named national champions. And it's like, I don't know what university you're living in that Michigan don't play the games and as the number two seed will be national champions. Like, even if the number one seed is the team that has the most COVID cases and the reason things are called off, the number one seeded team will be named champions unless I'm going completely mad. Yes, there'll be no champion. Or the number one seed will be de facto champion of an asterisk. Michigan fans need to give their heads a wobble if they think they're going to get some sort of default thing because they stayed the healthiest. Like, yeah. Come on, guys. It don't work like that. Sorry. No. <laughs> uh, don't forget to like the video, the podcast on audio, what have you. Sub to it if you can. Big help to us. Lions Nation Unite as well. Please get on that. Our project along with Herman Moore and all the hobby um podcasters that do this sort of thing so it would be a big help to us but in terms of actually the content you get on there it's going to be a massive thing going forward to get involved uh we're going to start out with the news now and then we're going to talk a little bit about the lions falcons game yesterday on boxing day the news starts off with the detroit lions now are guaranteed a top five overall pick uh after this weekend's results so obviously the lions lost combined with a Jets win against the Jags and a Texans win against the Chargers, I think it was. I mean, how the hell did that happen? But that has meant that even if the Lions now win out in their final two games, 
they are guaranteed a top five pick and I don't know about you, but every mock I now see seems to start picking Hamilton outside that top five. I mean, Ant could be on in Dreamland picking Hamilton at five or so if we can win out here, Ryan. Yeah, once you were broaden the horizons, look towards four or five, you kind of, the world becomes the lion's oyster. They won't be forced to publicly feel like they have to take one of the two edge rushers. Like at three, four and five, there's at least six, seven guys that you could take, but one or two, you feel like there's only two players that could be taken. So it, it won't be the worst thing in the world. People keep still banging on about draft position. Like the first or the second player makes us any better. They don't work like that. One of the two will be a total miss. You can guarantee that pretty much. One of them will bust. So I'm happy picking anywhere in the top five. I'm pretty sure it was pretty much always going to happen when picking in the top five anywhere. It's just now mathematically correct. Like I say, I'd still like to win out. Who won't like to win out now we know where we're sitting? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Seattle look like they are getting stronger as the weeks go on, even though, you know, they lost to the Bears. There's something a bit more to them than there was a little bit earlier on when Russell Wilson came back off injury, um, where they looked pretty poor. So I wonder what's going to happen with that, especially if our injury problems continue. And on that point... Uh, Armani Oruwarie was placed on IR before the game, but after we last podcasted, that ends his season. Jason Kambinder and Shane Zilstra exited the game yesterday with knee injuries. Zilstra in particular apparently shattered his kneecap. Um, I don't know how long the rehab is on that, if there is indeed a rehab estimate at all on that sort of injury, but potentially that could be a bit longer than just the off-season out, right? Oh, yeah, a fractured kneecap, that's going to need surgery, probably some nuts and bolts. But just hoping it heals. If he's done any major damage, don't know if we'll see him next season or where he'll be. If he'll be in Detroit, hopefully somewhere. But I don't expect to see him for many months to come now. No, I mean, just a practice squad guy to start kind of got promoted after our tight end two moved on because he was useless. Um and, you know, he kind of came in and, and wasn't absolutely nothing. And given where he came from and the difficulty of the tight end position, that, that wasn't bad. So I feel I feel really bad for him. I mean, just as a person, but also the fact that he actually did manage to contribute a little bit to to our, our kind of positive run in the last few weeks. Uh, on other injury news, Jared Goff has cleared the COVID protocols, but wide receiver Josh Reynolds has gone into them because he's tested positive for COVID. Um I didn't actually see the press conference that just aired an hour ago or so, but I believe that Trinity Benson is still in the COVID protocols unless he came off as announced in that. So if that's true, then we've got two of our wide receivers in the protocol, which is not exactly ideal this time, Ryan. It's just we're literally down the bare bones, aren't we? Let's just protect Amon Ra at all costs. Like, lock him in a broom cupboard. Keep him away from anyone that's possibly sick. He is our only hope in the last two games. Josh yeah. Reynolds, maybe this explains why. Yesterday, he just looked totally off it. I don't know if he wasn't feeling well, but there's kind of a coincidence there. Test positive, even if it was asynchronous, Mike, and had an absolute stinker. The connection just wasn't there. But Trinity Benson, like you say, won't see him again this year. Well, it doesn't seem like he's, if he's even active or... He wasn't listed as not active yesterday, but I'm guessing that's because he never cleared protocol. So I just got no idea what's going on anymore. I just can't wait for the season to be over. Sickness, injuries, just just please end it now for everyone. 
Hopefully, we'll be hopefully the league's in a much better position next year. But I don't know. I'm still not banking on it. No, absolutely. A um, couple of more bits of news. The Lions have now locked into last place in the NFC North of the season. This means that they are definitely playing Seattle, Carolina, and the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2022. They have locked into their respective last place positions in their divisions. And the Lions are playing the NFC West and South and the AFC South for the Jags? Yes. Yes. So, it, because of the rotation, they're definitely playing those people. I think Seattle is at home. I can't remember on the other two. But they are definitely playing those three teams in what order is to be determined in May. And Dan Campbell did confirm in his presser that he will retain the play-calling role for the remainder of the year. Although, interestingly, he described it as the offensive coordinator role, Ryan. And I don't know if that distinction is actually being talked about enough. Because I think most people are going, oh, he's a play-caller. But to call himself the offensive coordinator when we have one is telling to me. I know we've talked about the fact that Lynn is definitely gone, but that seemed to diminish his role even while he's still here. Hopefully he's not here. Hopefully we'll find out next few days he's gone because it's time to wash our hands of it. So maybe it's very notable. Maybe maybe he's just not going to return to the building. It's a very telling statement that I'm totally fine with it. Uh, I think the role has diminished pretty much since like the first few weeks of the year. He's just kind of dropped off the face of the earth. I'm fine with him calling himself the offensive coordinator for the rest of the year, as long as we find one for next year. Because his player calling, even yesterday, was pretty good. Like I'd say in the last few weeks, he's got marginally better every week. And he's got back to being super fun and aggressive down as well. So... Hell, let him do what he wants. He's got the keys, so let's just ride it out to the end of the year and see where we go. Absolutely. That's the end of the news. There was a question from Dan a bit earlier that I just want to get to. I'm not I'm not 100% sure what he's asking, but I feel like there's an interesting question in there somewhere. So I'll do that before we go into the game. He says, what do you think the teams with more than one, P, more than one pick need next year the most? I have no idea what we do with the Rams first and our second round pick. Uh, and then he said Jets, Giants and Eagles, I think, I presume. That was to do with the results which locked us into top five. Um, so the teams with more than one first round pick. So that's the Jets, the Giants and the Eagles. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Jets, Giants and Eagles with, with two first round picks. So what do they need the most in the draft? I mean, we know apparently that the Giants are returning Dan, uh, Daniel Jones. So I would assume that quarterback is not high up on their list, or at least if there is a quarterback, it's someone that is not going to start straight away. Um, the Jets don't need a quarterback unless they're already giving up on Zach Wilson. I think it's premature. Eagles may not need a quarterback either. Jalen Hurts has shown something more than nothing. I don't know what you think about what their priorities are in the draft coming up. Giants need all line. All line's trash. No quarterback will ever succeed when that O-line is horrible. I would double dip because it's a good offensive line draft. If you're really going to commit to Daniel Jones, which is a terrible idea because he blows. He's been way <laughs> too long. It's an awful decision to bring him back. He's proven time and time again that he is just a turnover machine and can't be trusted. So if you're really going to try it again, at least give him some offensive line because 
who did they sign like this year? Like, was it Nate Solder? Mm. Depending on it, yeah. Awful signing. He's washed up, overpaid him. So just double dip at the line. Do you know, Eagles, Eagles aren't a bad team. The Eagles are hard. The, the wide receivers are still bad. Jalen Rieger is just garbage. What a total, terrible pick. Arcega Whiteside, another disaster. They could still do another wide receiver. They need a tight end, but you don't. There's no one worth taking. I kind of agree that Jalen Hurts has been bad at times, but then times he's been good. Maybe I mean, they've they got Dallas Scott at, uh, at tight end. They yeah. might be okay there. Tight end two, perhaps. But, I mean, so Devontae Smith is excellent. They need someone to then stretch the field to give him room underneath, right? Yeah, they need uh, they need someone else to take a bit of pressure off him because the supporting cast is terrible. I'd say they could do with a cornerback opposite Darius Slay because Slay's been fantastic, but the other side, I don't know who it is. Is it is it Avante Maddox? It's something like that. There's some good corners like they will they will take first round cornerback. I think. Now, who was the other one? The uh, the Jets. See, the Jets are hard because Wilson has looked downright awful pretty much most of the time, but he's really not ready yet, let's be honest, is he? He's really shouldn't be playing right now. They're forced to play him. So you could agree that I'm pretty sure he's been sacked and hurt a lot of times. So that offensive line needs some serious work again. But they've got reasonable pieces, but uh, Denzel Mims, he's another guy that's just not worked out. They could do with some help there. Pretty sure the, the Jets... Who's the running? Well, they've taken Michael Carter, aren't they? So they've got that. So I'd say heavily invest in the O-line and probably work on the secondary as well. Like, I think they could use some more secondary help. But is the secondary help available at that point in the draft, I wonder? I guess there's. it's a long draft. It's a long three days. So we'll see what happens with the rest of that. Right, let's crack on with the game reviews. So Lions at Falcons, inactors for the game, Jared Goff, DeAndre Swift, Julian Aquara, Trinity Benson was on the COVID list along with uh, the tackle Matt Nelson, Josh Woods, the linebacker, was inactive, Jamar Jefferson was a surprise inactive, I think, and then Jalen Elliott, the safety. Did you hear anything about Jefferson? Is this a lingering effect of an injury, do you think, or was it? Is it simply just that Craig Reynolds has beat him out at this point? I think he was fine. I don't think he's injured. I didn't see him on any injury reports. I think he's just bottom of the pile, which probably should be Godwin because last year week's Godwin has not been very good. So I'm surprised it was Jamar Jefferson that was the one that was inactive. I guess it's the same arithmetic as, as earlier in the year, but with um, Reynolds and Jefferson and, and um, who was running back three at the start. I can't recall, but effectively, Godwin is the running back four slash five, provides the special teams upside, so he gets the tick, and it's just as simple as that, maybe. I suppose, but lately, his kick return and that, he's not done anything. The average isn't very good. I'm, I'd like to see at least try someone else, like, because I've really not been that impressed to be on special teams. Well, but, uh, I'd, I'd like to see other people worked out. It's a position where you can literally try anyone that yeah. can catch a ball. I mean, I don't really understand why Khalif Raymond is the punt returner, but not the kick returner. Because on punt returns, Khalif has looked more than capable. So why he can't do it on the kickoff return, I, I don't understand at all. He should be the primary returner. He's smaller, he's lighter, and he's faster, which kind of the things you look for in a returner. Not yeah. a big hulking guy like Godwin. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, at the end of the day, Khalif Raymond was kind of taken off the 
kickoff returns because he became a much bigger part of the offense. You know, back at the time when we were convinced at this point that he was our wide receiver one. Well, right now, that's definitely not true because for me, I don't know if you feel the same way on this, but he is behind Josh Reynolds and Amon Rasen Brown. He's he WR3 for me at this point. So yeah. why not put him out there? I know that we don't exactly have depth behind him, but we can run without a third wide receiver out there for quite a lot of the time, I think. It's not like the quarterback even gets to the third progression. We're pretty much looking for Reynolds or Amon Ra, or you check down the straight away. We're not even getting to the third guy, so you might as well put him on special teams. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, getting into the game, the Lions end up losing this one 16-20. Having a look at the box score, Boyle, fairly good, actually, in terms of the completion percentage. 24 of 34, 187 yards, a touchdown and an interception. Quarterback rating, a rating only of 29.6, though. Matt Ryan, 18 of 24, 215 and a touchdown and a quarterback rating of 54. Looking at the rushing stats, big disparity. The Lions, 130 on 33 carries, split between mainly Williams and Reynolds. Atlanta, mind you, 47 yards on 18 carries. They did, however, have a touchdown in there. But that's two and a half yards a carry versus the Lions, four. I mean... That's a big, big disparity. And having a look at the receiving yards, there's only two guys really at all on either side. Amon and brown for ours, 9 of 91. Sorry, 9 for 91 yards and a touchdown. And Kyle Pitts, 6 for 102 yards. Otherwise, um, the other people that pop off the, the screen in terms of defenders, Jalen Rees-Mabin with 8 tackles and Olokun for the Falcons, 14 tackles. Eight solo, a tackle for loss, and of course the, the game-winning interception. Having a look into the PFF stats, best players for the Lions, Amon Ra is the number one. But the O-line had a really good game. Taylor Decker, number two, Vitae Sewell and Jackson will break the top ten. And on defence, a first appearance of the year in the green for Derek Barnes, the mid-linebacker, on 80.8 grade, only on limited snaps. He only had 14. But other guys actually really showed out according to those stats. Dean Marlowe came in second, Charles Harris in fourth. I thought Charles Harris, again, had a really, really good game. Seemed to put Ryan under all sorts of pressure for the majority of the game. Um, as we kind of have a look at the overview of the game, Ryan, what did you see in, in all that happened before we break it down more specifically? Well, the O-line had a fantastic day. They only gave up two pressures on the entire day. So it was one of the cleanest pockets we might have seen all year, which in its own is, is very frustrating because, like I say, he, we had a lot of room to operate. The offensive line was good. Uh, six, seven all-starts, I think it was, which surprisingly has not hurt their PFF grades too much because there were a hell of a lot of penalties. So mm-hmm. I'd say PFF has been very kind to us there. Dean Marlowe. Had his, he's been underwhelming all year, but probably had his best game. Played a part in the fast fumble. Like I say, hit the guy in the back too. So it was good. Reasonably good tack then. Coming up in the box. So we kind of, we shut down the wrong game, which was really nice to see. Even with someone as big as Cordaro Patterson, who's a bit of a jack of all trades, master or none, we managed to clamp him down the wrong game, which was most important. And then we put all the onus on them. So as a defence... They did their job perfectly. They bent. They didn't break. Yeah, uh, Melly Thornwell and uh, Harris, they got took to the cleaners by Kyle Pitts, but 
he is just a bloody freak. We had no answer for him. I was surprised, to be honest, that we did bottle up Corderell Patterson for as long as we did, because I came into this thinking, well, our defence hasn't really gotten a lot of push in the interior for most of the year. Most of our pressure has come around the outside, and we haven't played Aline McNeil enough. And Patterson's, uh, the issue with Patterson is if you give him a few steps, his motor gets going and he burns you. Well, he, he didn't really have any room to manoeuvre whatsoever, apart from maybe one play in the entire game. And let's get into that now. So having a look at the drive-by-drive -drive key plays, the Lions come up big early with three sacks in the first drive. They then get the ball back themselves and have a long, slow drive for a field goal from the eight on fourth and five, decide not to go for it, when I thought that he might actually go for it at that point. Lions run defence comes up big again. Um, two stops on Corderell Patterson on first and second down, and they get the ball back after a punt. Cabinda then gets injured, so that's him out of the game. And then after that, Atlanta on their next drive progress down the field easily, and they convert a fourth and one. At the six-yard line for a touchdown pass and bounces it out to the left for a touchdown to make a 7-3 to Atlanta. And that play specifically, Ryan, it looked like it looked like that's what they were going to do. Ryan sold the fake very well, but especially Will Harris, the lack of recognition on the fact that a run play had actually happened. It, he kind of almost just walked in and on fourth and one, I mean... I don't know, maybe a pass is going to happen, but I would really be selling out on whatever Corderell's going to do at that point. Yeah, you kind of got to pick the poison there. You just go for one or the other. If they beat you with the one, if you sold out, fair enough. But the kind just didn't do anything. How many times have we been beaten in a foot race to the pylon this year? So many times. Diagnosing players that are stretching us one way or the other has been a real weakness. Laterally, like I say, when it comes down to red zone, we just don't diagnose it quick enough. They don't get outside quick enough and force them back in. We're just not great in foot races, which is what it ended up turning to be. Fourth and one, at very worst, to get a first down and continue the drive. So it was always going to be a run play for me, especially with Conrad Patterson. I think the fake was always going to be like a sell in the pass. I didn't think it were really, because especially against us when we know that in the red zone, we're not always the best. We've only got a few stops all year. So fourth and one, it was it was frustrating. Like we got them down there to the money down where it was, and then we just lost that concentration. It was too slow to get out there. And in the end, as you say, it just it counted in like a like a pony. Yeah, absolutely. The Lions then obviously get the ball back on the kickoff and respond straight away. The run works well before a fourth and six fake punt. Jack Fox, who is turning into a bit of a legend, not least because of Pat McAfee and his um, enthusiastic support for him. His pass, I mean, his fake of the punt is pretty nice too. He kind of holds it in his hand and you know, doesn't swing the leg or anything, but just gives a bit, a bit of enough. And then the spiral on the pass to Carterell Hodge, who does a good job of you know going hell for leather and then coming back um, on a comeback route, sells that and... It's just a lovely throw and pass. And actually, part of me thought that, that would go for a touchdown straight away, but he was hauled down. That was a 21-yard gain. And it was finished off by a really nice pass, actually, by Tim Boyle. Um, only short to Amon Ra, but nicely in front of him. Caught it. Momentum takes him. He drives forward, just about breaks a plane with help from Khalif Raymond. And that uh, took it to 10-7 to Detroit. It was... Um, 
It was a reasonable drive up to the fake punt. We were fourth and one and then committed a false start. I think that one was Jonah Jackson. Um, I've got to admit, I didn't see it coming. The execution of it was fantastic. Teams really have to be wise to the fact that we are going to do this. You know, and if the Seahawks and if uh, the Packers don't see it coming, they've only got themselves to blame at this point, right? Yeah, especially after a false start. Like you say, you think you've lost the momentum. You think you've already won and you're getting the ball back. It's the perfect time to throw a fake, really, isn't it? Because they they just think we've got off the field, so they let their concentration slip for a second. Jack Fox is now two for two and 38 yards. That's the most passing yards by punt, I think, since like 1980. That, that, that's a ridiculous start in itself. As you mentioned, it could have gone for a touchdown. If Hodge is able to get away, like there's only one guy able to stop him, that could have turned into a huge gain. In the end, Boyle, bit of a check down. Alman Rado did all the work, like you say. He showed some real strength to break through an arm tackle and just cross over the play. And it was a really nice finish in the end because he's not the biggest or heaviest guy. And those those two guys there kind of hold him back, but he showed some real great effort to finish the drive and finish the play. And it 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 it, it really lifted us because I thought, oh, three and out, like you say, we'll we'll just punt it. We'll rely on Jack Jack's foot again, which we do very often to good success. But I think it was another it was just another time where you see where Dan Campbell does understand analytics. He knows when to go for it. He knows we've got the capabilities of doing it. And people time and time again just don't respect that Jack Fox has got a good arm. Like you should know by now that in a position where he can throw it, you have to be a bit tight to the receiver because they gave him an awful lot of room. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's 10 to 7. And then the Falcons with about two and a half minutes to go in the first half. Um, they drive down the field, they come up short though in about a minute and a half and they drill Young Hoku drills a 53-yard field goal to tie the game up, 10-10. to 10. Lions of the Lens left with 104 in the first half and I think I think they have a couple of timeouts as well um, but fail to make that count and kind of the drive fizzles out. They then take a timeout about midfield on fourth down with two seconds to play and go for Hail Mary which... I don't know, we just didn't protect him particularly well and kind of gets hit as he throws. And, you know, that could have gone awfully. Um, I wasn't a particular fan of that. Part of me thought that we perhaps should have had a bit more confidence, taken a timeout early and said, let's get the first down here and get a few more yards and go for it. But maybe that was the loose risky play in order to try and get some points around. I don't know what you thought about that in particular. I didn't mind it. Knowing when you're going to get the ball back after the half, that kind of sometimes makes your decisions for you. Uh, we, we call him the laser show, so Dan Campbell believe he's got the arm strength to get to the end zone. If it's picked, I also what, like you say, it, there's, no, there's, there's a very small chance he gets returned for a touchdown, so the, the risk is very low there. The one time that we needed better protection was probably on that player there, and he didn't get the cleanest pocket, where I feel like if he does, he's got a real chance at getting up the end zone. And we could have put the big boys on. We lined up in a package for a try and work that out. So I didn't mind that half. It was aggressive. It kind of continued the trend of the game that he wasn't as scared to take risks and he was going to throw the bucket at. Yeah. So Lions-Falcons go in 10-10 to at the half. And I think actually I came out of that first half thinking 
the, I, I was a bit aggrieved that we were behind. If I remember rightly, the time of possession after 30 minutes was 18 to 12 in favour of Detroit. It felt like they couldn't really stop us on offence, that, that we had one three and out. But other than that, we looked like we were going to just methodically go down the field every time we had it. And yet, early on, we showed that, you know, that we could stop them. And so, you know, we just faltered on, on one drive and they got a touchdown. Um, I don't know. I, I felt like at 10 all that Atlanta probably were going in, kind of thinking they'd gotten away with it a little bit. Yeah, we, we should have been in the lead. Now, I'm all for one for long drives, but this that half, there was just a lack of urgency. The drives for me were taking too long. It would come back to bite us in the end. Every drive seemed to take an age. Like, we dominated time of possession, but that's because we were stuttering. They weren't getting back to the line mm-hmm. quick enough. There was chances. Like I said, we could have had more time on that final drive to not be forced into a Hail Mary. So, But I did feel better than the Falcons because they were frustrated. Like We'd exposed the poor O-line again. We were getting pressure. I felt like that game was really there for taking. And they knew their wild card spot depended on it. If they'd lost that game, I think they were done in the wild card race, basically. So there was all the pressure on them. Absolutely no pressure on us. So I felt good. And also, it's nice to see we, we're continuing a trend now where we're starting a lot faster. We're getting better in the first half of games, which was something we've been notoriously bad at. So knowing we're getting the ball in the second half, first, I felt pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it did feel good. Like we were going for two for one, didn't quite convert at the end of the first half. But I don't know, there was nothing in the air for me which said that the game was going to turn in the second half. But turn a little bit, it did. The Lions went three and out in the first possession of the second half, and then they end up behind. So the Falcons do go for a field goal to start the second half. Several really big passes to Kyle Pitts and a 48-yard field goal. In response, the Lions then drive down the field. Um, Solid run game, a couple of nice conversions, but then two false starts from the Atlanta 13 in not back-to-back plays, but I think back-to-play-to-back between Taylor Decker and Brock Wright ended up resulting in the 37-yard field goal, 13-13. It did feel like you mentioned that the O-line had you know, a few penalties. And actually, I think a few of them came from people like Brock Wright and, and wide receivers. And in fact, Tim Boyle himself was uh, at fault for one of them, which was the most ludicrous false start I've ever seen. He kind of went back as if he had the ball in his hands and he just didn't anticipate in the snap. Um, it did feel like we were putting ourselves in bad spots. I think by the end, we had six or seven of them, Ryan. Yeah, when you get to the 13-yard line, you shouldn't be settling for a field goal. Like that is the prime where you need to. Even though the the, the field shortens, the playbook gets smaller. But still, you'd like to think in a matter of that's far down territory. Like you'd like to think that we can come away six, seven points there. But when you give away all that momentum with two false start penalties and you back yourself up, that gives their defense hella confidence. Like they they were, they knew things weren't timed well and. The Tim Boyle false start were weird. Maybe the centre forgot to snap the ball. Because it looked like Tim, it looked like Tim thought the snap should have been there. He stumbles like he should have the ball in his hands. So maybe it was a timing issue. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it looked weird because a quarterback should never false start. It's kind of unheard of. But 
the harmonious, the harmony of the line was just not there at all in the second half. Things were just, they just weren't on the same page too many times. And it's the drive killer. It killed the drive. Yeah, it really did. And we end up popping over the field goal. Riley Patterson remaining perfect as a line, which is really, really good to see. 13 to 13 at that point. But then Atlanta come in with a really nice drive, uh, consistent in both the run and pass game. So in the run, I think this was actually the point at which they got uh, Mike Davis going. So he went for 28 yards on seven carries at an average of four per carry. And I think that's where the majority of his yards actually came from in this drive. Um, and it's finished off by a Hurst 12-yard touchdown caught over Charles Harris. You could see that the linebacker and the safety double Kyle Pitts and take him away. But that leaves Charles Harris on the end of the line having to take Hurst, who's in motion. And that's just that's a horrible place to put one of your better defenders in. And as much as Charles Harris is athletic and he does actually, you know, contest the catch, he's almost got no chance against someone much taller than him. And with a, you know, with a start like that, with Hurst already running as the ball is snapped, he's got a speed advantage at that point. So you're really on a hiding to nothing at that point. And Atlanta go 20 to 13 up late. Yeah, this is where the momentum really changed. Like, that was a dreadful matchup. Uh, someone, I can't remember, well, I think Justin Rogers on Twitter, it was a, an edge chip. So there would have never been a linebacker on him. It was motioning out. So it was always the guy in the end of the line. And they. They, they read that perfectly. Charles Harris is never going to win that race. For as quick as he is, for as agile as he is, once you turn him and flip his hips, he is not going to win in a foot race. And they kind of just dinked it over him. Like, Hayden Hurst is pretty good in the red zone as well. Brought in, he knew he was close to the sideline, got the feet in bounds. And for me, that's kind of, that was the first nail in the coffin. That drive there, because that drive was the start of we didn't get pressure. Matt Ryan operated in a clean pocket from then on. We were not getting to him. We weren't able to disrupt him. The O-line really stepped up in the, like, the late third, early fourth of Atlanta. They did definitely adjust, so I'll give them that. They definitely did a better job. Yeah, they definitely did. So that leaves it with 13 minutes left in the game in the fourth quarter. The Lions then proceed on a 17-play, 10-and-a-half-minute, 66-yard drive, which sounds... Impossible. How, how do you have 17 plays in a drive that doesn't end in a touchdown? I, and 10 minutes, that's two-thirds of a quarter in one drive. And I mean, you were saying before about the, the lethargy of this team. Our drives were 13 plays, 54 yards and seven and a half minutes, three plays and five yards for a minute and a half, like three and out took a minute and a half. A touchdown drive for 11 plays, 75 yards in seven minutes. And then the, the turnover on downs on the Hail Mary in the half. Three plays for 70 yards. 12 plays, 56 yards and seven minutes. And then this field goal drive for 10 and a half minutes. Like you said, we really did chew up the clock. And this drive had it all. I mean, we converted twice on fourth and one. And then we get down near the goal line, but decide on a fourth and five, needing seven to tie the game that instead of going for it, that we're going to keep the field goal. Um, there's only two minutes 38 left. Um, we've got all three timeouts, so I can see what Dan's going to say or has said about he feels good about the defense and he knows you know, that in all likelihood we're going to get the ball back and we're going to get another chance to score and this time it's going to be for the win. But at the end of the day, 
you know what the analytics are going to say. The analytics will say go for it. And okay, that's some value, but let's have a look at it in reality. For me, no matter what the analytics say, are you still if you kick that field goal, you still need a touchdown to be in the game. And if you turn the ball over there, well, they've got a really long field and you can stop them there and then have a really good chance to actually get that touchdown again. You're giving yourself two chances to get that touchdown for me, whereas by kicking it, you've only got one. And, you know, for sure, kicking it means that you've now got a chance to win the game. But it's fourth and five from the eight. I mean, just at this point, say, you know what? The completion percentage for Boyle has been good in short yardage situations. So trust him. He can do it. And you know what? Some of those draw plays in this sort of situation actually got more yards than they should have done. I hate even suggesting that. But I prefer pretty much anything he did apart from what he did. I I didn't say at the time because I'm not questioning Campbell, but I hated it. We have not been able to move the dot ball with any urgency all day. And he somehow thinks or he somehow presumes with just over two minutes left that we're going to get a chance to get the ball back and win the game. We have shown nothing all game. Ten minutes to move only 66 yards and turn out with a field goal. That is a, that's a dreadful drive. There was limit. We kept getting behind the chains. We, there was no urgency again getting back to the line of scrimmage. Total, it was just a disaster. There was no rhythm. It was too stop-starter. Using timeouts, like everything, like it was just bad. Like I agree. I don't care if we go for it there and we don't get it and we lose there and then, even if we're not if we're getting the ball back. But I would rather have gone for it and lost the game there and then than take the chip shot field goal. Just try. I know you put it on your defence, but there's no guarantee you even get the ball back. But we're very lucky that we get the ball back, which we'll talk about, because. but there's no guarantee that happens. Most teams can kill two minutes, even if you've got your timeouts and the two-minute warning. That's four stops. But most efficient teams can run down that clock. You only need one or two first downs max. So he was putting an awful lot of faith in, obviously, what's going to happen because it does. But that was where we should have been more aggressive. I agree that even like a check down, a dump off, anything, just a, a short play, when you're at that yardage line, like the books, the numbers, they'll say, go for it. You, you play to win games, don't play to extend them and come back again later, leave shortchanged. Because I felt shortchanged after a field goal, which I did on a lot of the day. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I, I hate the call. It, I, I know that Ant loves his cowardly punt index, as do I, but having a look at the analytics, they said that going for it increases your win percentage by two. I think it said it moves the needle from 15% if you go for the field goal to 70% if you go for the touchdown. It's not much, but at the end of the day, I think you just got to take what you can get in these sort of very specialised, not much time left on the clock situations. The individual choices do make a big difference, especially over the course of the season. If you can add 2% to your win percentage in a 17-game season every single game, that's one-third of a win right there. So... It's not insignificant that you get this right every single time. And Dan Campbell, more often than not, does get this decision right and did get this decision right earlier on in this drive, earlier on in this game otherwise. But when it really came to the really important moment, I think he bottled it a little bit. I think he kind of said, this team's only running two and a half yards a carry. They're going to run the ball. 
they're not going to be able to do this. And I get it. I do get it. Their punters had a really good day. If they get a touchback, they're at the 25, they get seven yards and have to go three and out and kick it from their 32. You're starting a drive inside your 10-yard line, needing a touchdown to win. Sorry, with Tim Boyle, that doesn't sound like a good idea. Like, he's been okay. He has actually managed to move the ball down the field with little checkdowns here and there. But why not take the opportunity in the red zone to get those points on the board? I just don't get it. I don't get it. But let's move on. We do kick the field goal. And then we do force them into a third down. And Jalen Reeves maybe forces Russell Gage to fumble at the Atlanta 32. It's recovered by the Lions at the Atlanta 37. And they've got a chance then to win the game with... Two minutes to go, two and a half minutes to go, something like that. Uh, well, yeah, I think it's just under two minutes to go. So, you know, well done. What a play by Jalen Reeves Mabin. I mean, he's already getting the tackle short, so the Lions are getting the ball back. But he gets in there with the, the peanut punch and the ball's straight out. And it's recovered really, really well as well because there were more Falcons around that ball as it comes out than there were Lions. I can't remember who recovered it, but terrific play to essentially save the game at this point for the Lions. Yeah, that... It's, it's just really annoying because I never felt like even once it happened, we were going to win. I didn't feel like we were, but it gave us that. It's the hope that kills you because it's a, it's a... Who was it who did it? It was Oroarrier, wasn't it? It was a few games ago. He makes that... Uh, Matt Gilbert recovers that game ceiling almost forced fumble. It felt like deja vu, like the Falcons were letting us off again. Like I felt like we were getting a massive reprieve and Dan Campbell probably breathed a massive sigh of relief thinking... Well, maybe that field goal decision won't get questioned because we can win it here and now. So, and we had great field position. Like we're at the 32-yard line with just under two minutes. All our timeouts, like the world is your oyster. You can do so much there. Ha. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the final drive. So the Lions force that fumble and then... Let's have a look at the play-by-play -play for this final drive for the Lions. So they start off at the Atlanta 37. So the ball moves five yards in, in Detroit's direct, in the Detroit goal line direction as it's fumbled. Reynolds starts with a run for four yards, tackled by Richie Grant, who had a fantastic day as a, on Atlanta D. He was probably their best pass defender in coverage, but also a fantastic tackler, showing all that promise that Ant knew he had in the draft last year. If you haven't seen our draft streams, he was basically the guy that Ant was in love with for much of that time. Sorry to him for, for how well he did in this one. Reynolds then runs again for four yards, making it a third and two, so quite productive. And then a short pass to Brock Wright for five yards. At this point, one minute to go. Run down the clock, 30 seconds all the way to 41 seconds to go. Jamal Williams then runs the ball with 41 seconds to go. Interesting, but runs it for seven. So now taking it down to second and three. Timeout taken by Atlanta. Because that's like, what the hell is going on? Okay, they're changing personnel. I don't really understand at what point you need to change personnel on this drive. The Lions from the 37, there's two minutes to go and they've got timeouts. Running the ball is on the table and it's what we do well. But they should be in sub package. I'm sorry, you should not want to concede the touchdown to lose the game. So... Don't worry about the run. Why they had to, I don't really understand. Uh, but they do take a timeout to get into their sub package. Second and three from the 17 with 40 seconds to go. Lions have one timeout remaining. They pass short to Tom Kennedy, 
for eight yards to the Atlanta nine. That's a first down and goal from the nine. The Lions then take a timeout, which is again baffling. Like, <laughs> you run down the clock, there's 40 seconds remaining. Okay, you're trying to make it so that they don't have any time, but also you've been keeping everything on the table for yourself. If you keep the timeout in your back pocket there, you can run the ball, which is kind of what you've been saying you want to keep on the table. Taking a timeout there made no sense to me whatsoever. And then out of the timeout, Tim Boyle has clearly just been told, you can only go for Cleef Raymond. Like, don't worry about anyone else. Cleef Raymond is the only guy you can pass to here. Tunnel vision into triple, well, double coverage with a linebacker in between them. Like, it's one of those passes that we were lambasting Goff for all year. And Boyle, who, to his credit, did not make this mistake for the entire game, did not lock into his receivers, then did it here in the most important play of the game. I think he got nervous. I think he thought, I can need a game-winning drive here in that moment. And just couldn't break out of that. Yeah, it was awful. And Olakun, you know, makes a good play. I mean, it's not an easy interception. He just has to move us couple of steps to his left but does and makes a good catch slides down and I bet it is almost thrown directly to him but you know there's some velocity on that pass it's not a gimme we've seen those drop time time again by defensive backfielders um but he does make the catch and the game is over and you know there are other options at that point Ryan it was a, a bitterly disappointing way to finish a game that really I'm coming away thinking well when we dominate the time of possession like we did and we had the ball for 38 minutes. How did we not win that game? It's mortifying. As you mentioned, we had we had more yards, we had more first downs, we had better time of possession, pretty much everything off offensively, pretty much everything, even though it might have been dinks and dunks, everything went in our way for the entire game. Even the we turnover battle was one-to-one. -one. Yeah. It was first down. Like you don't even have to force that throw on a first down. You've got three whole first downs. If you don't like what you see, throw it away. You've got three more downs to play with. And for some reason, he he throws to a guy who will. It, you know, the first thing is he was never open. Even if he doesn't get there, the linebacker, the safety picks it off. The other safety probably picks it off. There was no one open. I do not even know what I was looking at. I'm pretty sure someone said it might have been Reynolds or someone. Someone on the other side of the field was wide open. They might not have walked in for a touchdown, but that there is just, it was killer. And I, I just felt like I knew it was coming. I didn't have any faith in him whatsoever. No. Once that turnover, like this guy, with no disrespect to him, terrible college numbers. I don't know how he's pro, but. I don't know why, let's face it, Dan Campbell, if he doesn't like Blau or just doesn't trust him, because we don't see him, he's clearly never going to be in the picture whatsoever. No, He will die yeah. by Boyle. But Boyle, I do think, genuinely is better. I haven't seen... So if you take the game in its entire context, we wanted to be a low-risk team that managed the clock, restricted Ryan being on the field, and didn't really put the ball in harm's way, but managed to get yards enough so that you could get some points, hopefully some field goals, maybe a touchdown here and there. And it's what we did. He executed, I think, uh, 
good, not great game. And from a backup who isn't paid a lot of money and there isn't a lot of hope for him, really, I thought he did quite well. Just not well enough for me to say you're going to be any sort of long-term answer. But he did what I thought he would do pretty much for the whole game, including the interception, because that's a part of him. But I came away thinking, well, kind of well done. I'm not re-signing you, but you put us in a position to potentially win the game against a team which isn't better than us, but is definitely luckier. Yeah, but if a pilot takes off of the people, gets you to Seattle, to Florida in one hour less, but then comes down to landing and crashes on the runway, you won't say he did a good job, would you? That's pretty much the same analogy. Like, when it came to delivering, he totally screwed it up. Like, he got yeah. deer in the headlights. So, I can't praise him because all he proved to me is, like, say that he's a clipboard guy. He should never be on the field. He should literally be injury cover. Like, But that's what he was. Injury cover. But, I, I think Goff could have easily played that game well. Even he could have been spewing his guts up. Probably still gives a better chance to win. Oh yeah. But what you've just described, what you've just described to me is don't make any mistakes. From what I've seen from Blau in like the earlier days, I'm, there's no reason for me to believe that can't be him as well. No, I guess. Don't believe it's him. Like, this this will go down as one of those games where I look at this year thinking, I can't believe we didn't win, but unfortunately. I can only blame one person. I don't want to blame him, but it's his fault. Yeah. Because he had all that time to work with. We had all them downs to work with. And he just, his eyes lit up and he just couldn't not do it. I just feel bad because, so when I went out for Thanksgiving, I met his parents at the tailgate. Just the nicest people. Like, you see Boyle in his interviews and he comes across as a really nice guy. And I've seen where that comes from. And it's genuine. He has just had a good upbringing and, you know, his parents, they're just really rooting for him with absolutely everything that they have. I want him to do well. I really, really do. But he ain't it. But at the same time, so there was a discussion going on actually in our Discord channel earlier today about replacing him as a QB2 because um, I think it was Mike in the D wanted someone who could push Goff as our starter in there. And it's like, with us paying Goff as much as he's being paid, I don't see where the funds are to replace him with, with anyone better, such that it doesn't compromise the rest of the team. For me, Goff's the starter, and the quarterback two shouldn't be anything more than a one or two game stopgap. And if Goff goes down, that's our season done. And I just think that's the way it should be, because if you have in someone who can push him as a starter we've invested too much money like Boyle I think did enough for me to say I'm running back with him not because I want him to be there and not because I think he's a capable quarterback too but because I think he provides value for money a position that isn't valuable to me I don't know what you reckon on that because how much would you actually be willing to spend on a quarterback too who's somewhat capable realistically with the amount of cap that we're going to have and the amount of positions we need investing elsewhere Nothing. I'm drafting one. I'm getting rid of Boyle and Blau. If we can save money in either of them, I'm putting them both on the scrap heap. I will take a project because if Goff goes down at any point next season, then who cares? The season's probably right off anyway. The moment Goff goes down, the season's right off. But at least then we get to see maybe he's heir apparent. So for me, I've seen enough from both these guys now to say, thanks, here's your P45. We're moving to look into the future. 
one of them might get a job somewhere else, but no, I'm not spending money. I know Mariota might be better than some of the starters in the league, but he's probably going to cost you like six, seven million dollars for the year, and he might as well. He might never play. Yeah, like, there's some expect higher. Right, look at Chase Daniel. He just made a right bloody mug of us, didn't he? <laughs> and we didn't even need the guy. Like, no, he, he can. It's off like say So no, I'm not spending money on a backup. We've got Steven Montez. Like, bloody hell, he got COVID today, but. God, at least he's an inexpensive guy. I'd even give him as a backup game next year. Yeah. Yeah, I'm right with you. And I'm sure there's probably... So, like, Tyler Huntley was someone who's been on the scrap heap for some time. There are players out there that are capable, that can run offences, that aren't going to be expensive. If There's no way that Tyler Huntley is going to come in and compete for a starting job with Jared Goff. But I think maybe you can upgrade at the position on minimal cost. But you've got to be really selective. And Tyler Huntley is a a person who operates in that Baltimore offense very, very well. So it's going to take some good pro scouting. I know that our scouting department is very, very good. So I have some faith that perhaps we can do something there, but maybe not in the way that people are hoping for. Um, let's have a look at the themes to take away from the game. So Lions control the clock, as I said before, 38 minutes to 22. I don't think I've seen us with such a big disparity in time of possession in years, Ryan. I mean... When was the last time we had 38 minutes of possession in the game? I can't remember it. Ever. Probably maybe, maybe that Jags game we went after the bye, where we totally dominated, but maybe we didn't run the ball enough then. I don't uh, think so. I, I, yeah. I, I couldn't tell you. No. No, absolutely incredible. Um Another thing that we were really good was we were efficient on third and fourth down. Obviously, we had to be to extend the drives that long, but we were three of four on fourth down, and we were six of 11, I think, by memory, on third down. It was a really good performance in terms of coaching, in terms of the play calling. You know, I questioned earlier some of the decisions on fourth and five early to not go for it on the late decision to go for the field goal and also the, the first and goal situation at the end, but... Throughout the game, we had a number of situations that could have been called badly, and they weren't, and they were executed very, very well. So I think there needs to be some plaudits going in there. There's several decisions that they could have bottled in other situations and didn't. I'm pretty sure I saw one of the graphics that said we've got the most fourth down goals for it in the league. I think we're at 40 now, and I think we're at 50%, which makes us one of the best in football. I think we might even be the best for converting fourth downs, which which tells you how aggressive we are, but also tells you that we're getting better at it. We're becoming less predictable. We're getting better at converting. I'm pretty sure we're one of the best in the league on fourth down now because we go for it so often, which tells its own tale because we get behind the chains and we, we get to fourth down where some teams don't. But at least we're getting better at converting them and extending drives. So that's something to certainly take away. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to check that because I'm kind of interested to see. Um, so, Detroit Lions, conversions on offense. At some point, the graphic said, we, I, think we were eight, I think it said we were 18 of 36 at one point. We were 50% on the year. But that was like a first, second quarter. I think there must be some sort of qualifier in terms of how many times you go for it. Because according to Pro Football Reference, it was 17th on offense on fourth down at 50%. But, you know, if you go for it four times in the year and get it three, are you better than someone who's going 18 to 36? I think there's some sort of, like, qualifier in there. So, I think you're right. 
what is interesting is that we're 32nd on red zone percentage, but we knew that anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, Jamal ran the ball well, um, came out and, you know, ran really hard. So I think he was four yards per carry or just short of that, which, you know, isn't going to win any awards. But considering how he'd been bottled up since his COVID um, uh, diagnosis, he came back and had probably his strongest showing since early on in the season. Um, in stark contrast to Craig Reynolds, who, you know, only got down for two and a half a carry after running so well in the last couple of weeks. And maybe he was due for a down game, but a nice welcome return to form for Jamal, who didn't really have any big plays, but just consistently churned out those situations to get us into third and short. He's now second in the league for rushes that result in a first down behind only Jonathan Taylor. They pretty much put that on the screen. That tells its own story. How efficient must that be? Craig Reynolds, unfortunately... He will never be a huge factor in the offense. Maybe he's a he's a part player. Like he's a guy that steps up when the law. Like say it's great to see Jamal back because God, we've missed him. We've missed Jamal really badly because since Swift's gone down, we've had to rely on all this rotation. But to get some stability, maybe Jamal and Craig. At this point right now, I really I know we're going to probably see him, but I don't want to see Swift again this year. There's no point. Like, we've proved that we don't need him to operate an efficient run game right now. We're still doing pretty well, so don't force him back. But he ain't going to sit down if he's healthy. But I, I agree, it's great to see him back. And I think Reynolds only got 11 touches. So, yeah, this will be his down week. Seattle are good against the run. It won't be his next week. They've got, like, Jordan Brooks, who's having a fantastic year. So it's not going to be easy to run next week. Yeah. So that's going to be a serious test because, like I say, they've got a stout defensive line as well. They are really going to make us work for those yards. So it's going to see Jamal hopefully now fighting fit. Yeah, the other takeaways from the game, the Lions can't stop a unicorn. Kyle Pitts just came in there and, and completely destroyed us. No matter what we did, we couldn't cover him, whether it was linebacker or safety. And, you know, I thought that we put Dean Marlowe over him. And Dean Marlowe had a, a good game by all the metrics. And I saw him pop up with, with tackles. He was the guy who recovered the fumble as well, apparently. But I don't know. So who the other safety would be Tracy Walker? He didn't actually have a great game. I don't think Tracy, unfortunately. But I don't know. It just seemed like that Aaron Glenn just kind of, tried but whatever he did came up short i don't know whether that does come down to coaching or execution or maybe just a lack of someone equally special melophon we perhaps was probably the best matchup we had for him and he looked all at sea actually in this game near far too unfortunately but how much can you blame him when he's been out for the majority of the season with an injury i'm giving him a full pass this year so maybe just one of those things where you hold your hands up and say if that's the way you're gonna win well so be it no one was ready. There isn't a cornerback on the roster. I don't think they'll stop Kyle because the way he plays, the guy's a wide receiver, and let's be honest. He's not a tight end. He's never going to be a tight end. He can't block very well. He's going to be a receiver next year. He's going to make the full-time transition because he's got speed, he's got hands, he's got strength. And even when someone got close to him, there's one player where Nelly Formu pins him to the sideline and Matt Ryan throws head beautiful throw and he literally just reaches and stops it going out of bounds like can't stop that because he's just a he's an athletic freak he couldn't have covered it much better because the pass is seven out of bounds and he manages to still somehow haul it in like what could he have done 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Amon Ra continues to rise. Is it his fourth or fifth straight game with seven catches and 70 yards or something like that? I mean, I'm, we mentioned him at the top of the show, I think. I don't know whether that was our first or second run through, but um, he's been elite. I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that, at least in the rookies, he is the, be the second best of them, the best of them, him and Elijah Moore. They've been absolutely fantastic. And I don't think he's ever going to drop a pass. Whenever it's thrown his way, I just expect him to catch it. Even some of them are thrown behind him, maybe a slight juggle or something he shouldn't get. And he's just coming up with it, low throws. There was a couple he took off his thing, uh, off his um, toenails and they came up in his hands. Like The guy's got fantastic hands. He's got great feet. He creates separation. And, you know, they don't go for massive yards, but... He's going to be a monster in the red zone. He looks a spit of Golden Tate out there. Yeah. Who was it? Who Was it Antoine Randall that said he looks like Heinz Ward because he's built like him, he blocks like him, and made a good comparison there. Look at the numbers. Speak for themselves. He's now he's joined Odell Beckham Jr. as the only rookie in NFL history to have four straight games with eight-plus receptions. That is elite company. He has got sticky hands and he's catching everything. He has got to win. If he don't win rookie of the month, it's a fix, which means he probably won't win because the NFL don't like us. He's got, what, 83, 80, 73, 91 in his last four games and three touchdowns. Like, those are fantastic numbers. And his catches, he's had eight-plus catches in every game, so he's on a proper hot streak right now. He really is. I mean, so he's... I know that Hawkinson's been out for a few games now, but he is 109 yards than Khalif Raymond. He's got 74, Khalif's got 44. I can what the Lions receiving record is in terms of catches, because with two games to go, he can't be far away. How, how many 100-yard reception receivers can you have had all time? Um, I have no idea how I'm going to check that, so I'll think about that and come back to it, but what a season he's had. It's been great, and I hope it continues in for the last couple of games. Um, we've talked about Boyle. Should we talk about that Fox throw again? I mean, just, it's one of those things where I can't believe he hasn't been elected to the Pro Bowl because the guy got to the Pro Bowl last year. His stats, at least in terms of gross punting percentage, have increased. I don't think the fall in net punting is actually his fault. I think it's actually a slight... Um, Good thing. Yeah, well, I, I think that his reduction in net punting yards is because of worse coverage, to be quite honest. You know, some of our gunners have gone down, who've got that elite speed. Bobby Price isn't out there. Um, who else was our starting gunner at the start of the year? Oh, it was so long ago, I can't even remember. But, you know, both of those guys have gone down, and, you know, that's going to hurt. But he goes out there, and he's already thrown the one pass on the fake punt successfully. And then now he comes out and throws another. It's really throwing it in the face of the professionals doing the voting in the Pro Bowl as well as the public that you've made a mistake here and this guy deserves to be in that game. It's a fix, isn't it? I I've stopped getting upset about Pro Bowl because it's a lot of shit. Pardon my French. It's pointless. No one even likes the Pro Bowl anymore. Awful watch. I'd rather players don't go to it because I don't want to see anyone else get hurt, to be honest. I see uh, we've got some alternatives, but it's one of them things where you get an alternate. You don't, even if you get called up, some of them just say, no, you didn't want me. 
So I'm not coming to help you out. Go to someone else. Yeah, absolutely. I just, it's just one of them things. I just, I, I'd, can't we just get rid of it? I, I think people would actually vote to get rid of the Pro Bowl. It's pointless. Steve-O just got in touch on the YouTube chat saying he thinks the record is Calvin with 122 and he thought that Herman Moore had a couple of big seasons with way more than 100 receptions. So, I mean, maybe my hope then is that he can try and push 100 receptions. There can't be many rookies in, in, in NFL history to get 100 receptions in a season. So, if he can get 13 a game in the next couple of games, he'll be on the money for it. And, I mean, he's going at 9 and 10 a click at the moment. That isn't much more than that. And with some of our better wide receivers going on the COVID list, maybe, I don't know, Reynolds actually maybe has helped him by stretching the field a little bit and giving him some room. But he should become the focus of attention for whoever's under centre in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we're going to need the passing game next week because running against Seattle is not easy. We might have to sling it a little bit. And then the Packers, I hope the Packers rest everybody. I would love to go to town on them and pull up some serious numbers. So I, I'm praying. I know Rodgers will start, but with that toe that he said is really hurting, still hurting, he will not play along. So I would love to win out. And some people are higher on the Seahawks than others. I don't rate them. I think they're there to be had because Pete Carroll right now, teams he's in free fall anyway. They're not playing for him, I don't think. I think he's a goner. But yeah, we'll see. I I think there's a sneaky suspicion of an upset next week. Maybe. I don't think no matter what, they're going to get rid of Carroll. I know that people are saying he's on the hot seat, but one of the more successful coaches in, in recent NFL history, he's had a down year and their recruitment has been questionable. Their route forward is also questionable, but it's a big call to get rid of a personality that big. To get rid of him is to tear down the entire organisation. If you get rid of Carroll, I think you've got to trade Wilson. And I just don't see them doing that. Unless unless Russ is on board saying that's the reason I'll stay. But I don't see that happening either. I think that Carroll is one of those guys who, comes when it comes down to tactics in a one-off game, he's right up there with the best of them in terms of Super Bowls and what have you. He's one of the guys I'd want us to have in a kind of nitty-gritty situation where you've got to scheme up for things. I know maybe it's not even like he's getting old. That's not what it is. I think they've just had some questionable decisions down the stretch and it's come to bite them in the arse. They've made some trades which were unwise. And then, you know, perhaps some of their picks when they only had three in the last season just gone, last draft just gone and they take a wide receiver who's not played, it's like, okay, maybe we need to give him some help doing this. And, you know, he won't like that because he's a power-hungry guy. He's a de facto GM as well as the head coach. We know that. But I think it's premature to say he's going to go. That's my own personal feeling on that anyway. But I follow you saying that it's an upset on the cards. It's a trap game for them for sure. And they're going to need it. Yeah. Russell Wilson will be asking for a trade at 0-0-0 on the fourth quarter of the final game. The moment that clock kicks down, he's handing in a trade request. I think he's sick to death for that franchise. All lines got no better. They didn't do anything to address it, even though they said last year, you don't fix this all line, I'm out of here. It's still not gone much better. Still much of life. They're wasting his best years. And we know a lot about wasting someone's best years. <laughs> so oh, yeah. he won't put up with that. No, he won't put up with that, I don't think. 
No, no, probably not. Uh, we've talked about the fourth down decision. That was my last takeaway. Anything else that occurred to you in this game you want to get off your chest? It's just one of those where situational play, situational big calls, just let ourselves down again. Like Things could have been so different. Boyle could have been carried out like a champion on shoulders. But unfortunately, he's probably hanging his head and it hasn't needs an arm around him. But hopefully he's got thick skin because he'll, he'll might shake it off. So I suppose we'll see what next week brings if both and stay off the COVID protocol list, keep himself clean and healthy. Well, we might see a totally different game, who knows? But I think it's very much up for debate, the quarterback room next year. It's going to look very different, even though we're tied to Goff Goffs here, but the rest of it, total shake-ups coming. It really could. This draft is getting more and more interesting as we go on with some players stepping up this season, solidifying their spots, and then other positions of need come forward. The draft order... And the prospects are all changing ranking as we go. And with that, you'll want to listen to our Royal Alliance College Football podcast. Um, I don't know whether we're doing anything with it being the holidays this week, but there's certainly going to be one after the championship games coming up this weekend, Ryan. And who are you tipping? If, if all the games go ahead as planned, who are you tipping for the semifinals? Cincinnati uh, will get absolutely destroyed. That, that, that's a given. They don't stand a single chance whatsoever. And they know it. They're just there to make up the numbers. And, hey, non-Power 5 team made it. Like, let's celebrate that. But, yeah, they're going to get slapped by 30, 40 points easily. Bama are going to win the whole thing without shadowing out. Georgia, Michigan, depending on who can play for Georgia, I don't know what's happening. Let's say if George Pickens doesn't clear the game. I think Michigan have got a sneaky chance of an upset. The fans on Twitter will be absolutely insufferable, so I hope they don't win. No offence, Michigan fans, but you'll just do my head in and I'll have to mute you. But no, I do feel like an upset. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on my gut. I'm gonna say an Alabama v Michigan final, which will Ooh. be very interesting. Yeah, be very interesting. I'm just trying to find my souvenir from my trip. Don't worry guys, I'm not actually a fan. I just happen to go, but there it is. From the big house. It was a, a terrific game against Ohio State. I'll probably never forget that moment for the rest of my life. But I'm going to root for Michigan just because they're from the state of the NFL team I support. And it will make it interesting for the, uh, for the championship game. But let's hope it goes ahead unscathed no matter what. Uh, so we've talked about the Royal Alliance College Football Podcast. But our next episode on the main pod is going to be this Thursday. Assuming, because it's the holidays, that I have some guys to join me. But it's going to be the Lions at Seahawks preview. And otherwise, in the last couple of weeks, we've had interviews with Herman Moore of uh, the Lions, of course, but of Lions Nation Unite too. And we also spoke to Glover Quinn last week, Ryan, which was, I know you set it up. How do you think it went? I mean, I was blown away by the guy. And it's something that you guys really need to go back and watch because I've never really listened to him speak before. I saw him in interviews while he was here, and he always seemed measured. But to listen to him for an extended period of time, you can see what people mean when they say he's cerebral. He knows what he's about. He's certain about what he thinks. He says it methodically and in a way that is easy for everyone to understand. He's like a teacher, in a way. He is. He's, he's very reserved. Like He's very calm. He's very collected. He also keeps his cards close to his chest. Like He won't tell us anything about locker room. 
so it's not a point trying trying. He 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 keeps things very dear to him, but it's easy to understand how he's made the progression from like you've got this uh Jukoi got this division two three kid that managed to somehow get the pinnacle, makes it to the league. He plays as long as he wants to play, didn't play down more than he planned to. Then he's got he's got the boys, he coaches them. You can just you just know what type of coach he is. He said that he shows people not how to do things. He shows them why you do it, so you know when to do it and you know when not to do it. You don't just do it for the sake of it. That just sums up his whole play style. Like he is such a nice guy. I can't believe we got him for so long. He never felt rushed. He was willing to give long descriptive answers. He felt like he enjoyed talking to us. Like he never felt like he was in a rush to go anywhere. And just it's easy to see why he didn't spend a long time in Detroit. And he had that once very successful year, like say inception leader, but he left an imprint. A lot of people might put him in their top 10, 15 Lions when he wasn't here all that long. And he's he's quiet, but on the field, he was a leader. He's not the most, he isn't brashy. He isn't bold. He doesn't come out, say these things. He doesn't get in your face, like say, but he's a quiet, silent, strong type, which I really like. I can imagine mm-hmm. playing for him like, he said that I'd give singles, I'd give looks, hand movements. I'm not going to tell you what to do because you know what to do. But I'll tell you if you're doing something wrong, it'll just take a point or a number or anything like that. And that just sums him up, doesn't it? He's a man of few words, but when he chooses them, he chooses them with purpose and reason. And it's certainly worth going back to listen for because he just tells you all about the position from transition from playing safety at cornerback, cornerback safety, and how it's not as easy as people would assume it is. He said it's different worlds apart and he he, he really respects that he has put so much time and effort into the game. He got everything out of it that he could and that not everything's watching hours of film. It's up here. You don't have to watch it. Just take it all in. Yeah, understand what you're doing. And, and that was the meaning behind his... YouTube channel, which hasn't had much content recently, but ran about a year ago for about two, three months. And some really good in-depth videos in there into what coverages mean, how they're played, the terminology used in coverages. It was it was interesting to me as someone who can watch a game and understand what's happening, but can't describe it well, quickly and simply, to go and see someone put it in terms that just made sense. Is something I'm going to go back and watch more of to understand the game. In terms of study, because of where we've come from, it's something that I have neglected in my football education. So I'm definitely going to go and do that. That's the end of the pod. Don't forget our socials. Royal Alliance UK on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Facebook group as well for worldwide fans is Detroit Lions Fans UK 15 wide. Uh, Don't forget the pod. Subscribe, rate five stars, website rollalinesuk.com, articles, draft stuff coming up very, very soon. But just remains for me to thank my co-host, Ryan McCluskey. Don't know if I'll see you on Thursday, man. If I don't, I hope you have a very happy new year and hopefully a, a Lions win against Seattle and then we can break that down this time next week. Yeah, I, I think it should be on, but I'd like a little gift. Like We didn't get a Christmas present, so let's start 2022 on a high. Like That would be nice, wouldn't it? Starters for me to go on. Thank you for joining me, man, on this one. My name's Matthew Turner. We'll see you guys for the next episode of the Royal Lions podcast on Thursday. But for now, let's go Lions 1 Pride.
Und Pride.